Life Audio. Hey, Dr. Bill Sindert here with Gospel Rant. Particularly, this is for those of you who have lived your Christian walk feeling unlovable, unsuitable for Jesus in heaven. You know, that is for those of you Christians who are already in the arms of Jesus right now, but are still feeling hesitant and the odd duck out, like someone who's just waiting for the next shoe to drop, waiting for him to bring up, you know, that dark secret past, the addiction, the old ugly that you just can't seem to clean away. So welcome. Good news today. Hopefully you have been following the last four shows on this very important movement for the Song of Songs. There was the shocking betrothal of the great king in this very unworthy, emotionally shredded bride with, with a secret past. Then the, the great marriage procession, likely following two aborted processions, the original runaway bride. Then the public proclamation of the king's love for her in front of friends and families and dignitaries. And of course, the consummation, the Yehud, the event that she has been terrified of from the very beginning, the thing that has triggered her the most. Why? Because there, her dark secret past is going to become public. And she has been hoping, I think, that it would just go away. Look, she has done some things she's not proud of. She's had things done to her that has left her diminished, traumatized, embarrassed, shamed. And she knows that all of that disqualifies her from being a suitable wife for this king. That's what everyone has told her. That's, uh, you know, she belongs back in, in the vineyard. And, you know, in a sense, she's right, except that this love of the king, that's what it does the love of the king does its best work with unsuitable brides, unworthy brides, spiritual, emotional, vineyard keeper brides. In the consummation, his reputation is not soiled by her or her darkness, her past, her uglies. His, her reputation is raised up by his glory. And we've never seen anything like it before. What do I mean? In his arms, she becomes a queen, his queen. Hey, I've just described salvation. I've just described redemption. It's so hard to remember in the midst of all of our failings and guilt and shames and trauma, our critical inner voice just never lets us forget how unsuited we are for our relationship with Jesus. He deserves someone better, someone more righteous, more pure, more worthy, right? And yet, he's picked you. He's picked me. And and he adores us with all of the love of the universe. (laughs) That's the rub. Let's look at it one more time. And hopefully this show brings all of that together. We'll get going after a word from our sponsors. Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. 
So what does this amazing 2,500-year-old collection of poetry have to do with me today and my relationship with God? Let me tell you a story. The young rabbi was tired beyond imagination. It had been a difficult Passover week for, for he and his hapless followers. Nerves were on edge. The entire city of Jerusalem was about to self-combust. And he knew what he was there for. He knew what he had to do. His week begun only days before as he crested the saddle on the Mount of Olives along with thousands of other pilgrims. And his soul was filled with deep compassion for these ragged people. His knees buckled and his breath was taken away as he saw the oppression, the frustration, the anger, the shame, the hopelessness that had plagued Jerusalem for generations. He would have taken more time to pause, but the crush of the crowd moved him inevitably towards the city and to the prescribed events. It was Thursday evening. A gracious supporter had lent a banquet hall on the Western Hill for them to celebrate the annual Passover meal in privacy. He knew that it would only be a short time, a matter of hours, before he would be betrayed, arrested, tried for multiple false charges by the Jewish religious leaders in Rome. He would be beaten to the very point of death, forced to carry a large wooden beam outside the city to where he would finally be crucified and die. But the rabbi couldn't think about all of that right now. He had important work to do. It wasn't likely to be understood tonight, not by these disciples, but it would be recorded. And in the years to come, the strangeness of this evening would be parsed more thoroughly. His death and resurrection were critical for restoring the lost relationship of men and women to God. But so was this particular Passover meal. What he was about to do, his words and actions were so important and must be done in order and correctly. They will understand more in the days to come. His spirit will make them see. He wanted to tell them about the two things he was accomplishing for them, prophetic things. He was going to die to open the door to heaven and the arms of God for them. And he was betrothing them and subsequent faulty, unworthy disciple brides to himself. The Passover was the perfect platform to tell both storied theologies. God forgives sins, and God adores sinners. So the Passover began as it had since the exile with a reading from the Megalot, the scrolls. Jesus would have known it by memory. He spoke boldly and with great emotion. These words were personal to him. This is what he wanted the disciples to hear. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like a perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. We will rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. How right they are to adore you. Well, You know, if you step back, Passover was kind of a curious time to read the Song of Songs, right? The Jews were to annually remember their rescue from generations of slavery in Egypt. They were to remember the faithfulness of God who had made the binding covenant with Abraham, that he would be their God and they would be his people. It was a marriage covenant, right? So how did that sync with the designated Passover megalote for Passover? What was Jesus trying to communicate to these disciples And we disciples after him. The two things, redemption and marriage. Song of Songs was about a wedding between a great 
lover king and an insecure, unclean and unworthy bride who just couldn't find comfort in his arms. Right? I'm speaking of Israel and, and me. Over and over, he pursues her with unimaginable love, but she can't receive it. Nothing has hurt her more than relationships, and every part of her brain is screaming for her to run. She can't be hurt again. Yet, patiently, the king keeps telling her how beautiful she is to him. Hanak Yafa Riati, Hanak Yafa, just look at you, beautiful, my beloved. Look at you, beautiful. For a million reasons, she can't accept such praise and love. She won't, so she pushes the lover king away and runs again and again to other lovers, cheaper lovers. Well, why would Jesus tell this story on his final meal with his followers before crucifixion? As we have been saying in Israel, when a man finds a potential bride, he is to go to her officially at a betrothal ceremony. He offers her a legal marriage document, the ketuvah, which includes his declaration of love for her. And, of course, the appropriate marriage price, the mohar. The mohar is all about her value in his eyes and, right, what she is worth to him. This is how she'll know. The betrothal ceremony is done, a celebratory meal sealed by a cup of wine shared by the couple. It's the first of two cups in the marriage process. Once they drink this cup, all right, think the Passover meal, They are officially husband and wife in the eyes of God. They cannot be separated except for a trial of divorce. The husband has made a covenantal commitment, the public declaration of his love for her, and by drinking the cup, she has said, I do, publicly. They are husband and wife. God has a bride. So now we can see what Jesus, our bridegroom, was saying to them and us on that fateful evening. This is Matthew 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. He gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Well, now we know the value of this bride in the eyes of the bridegroom. Though we don't always feel it, our value is incalculable. The negotiated mohar was the bridegroom's very life, his body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Matthew 26, 27, and 8. As the bridegroom and the bride drink from the first cup, they publicly enter into holy matrimony. They were fully committed to each other for eternity. On that evening, all the eons witnessed the Public marriage of the lamb and his faulty bride. That's Matthew and Luke and John and you and me. The second cup, the final marriage banquet, has to wait. And Jesus said so at the same meal. This is Matthew 26 again. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom at the banquet of the lamb at the marriage feast. Then the couple separate for a time, and for often for a very long time. He goes to prepare a place at his father's house where they will live, and she is to spend the time faithfully waiting, preparing, being a spotless bride. There will be a second cup drunk at the subsequent wedding feast to come. Often before the bridegroom leaves for that separation, he gives the bride marriage gifts to make the time apart more bearable. And so Jesus concludes the meal by saying, 
And I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, John 14, 16 and following. So the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit are for the bride, are for you and I to keep us spotless, to keep us anxious and waiting and believing, uh, expecting him to come back, right? For us to access the power to deal with all of our critical inner voices, you know, those, those things that are denying the marriage. So who do you think you are to the king? Why would he pick you? What's going to happen when he finds out how really unworthy you are? He may not even be coming back. He's been gone a pretty long time. Maybe he's changed his mind or maybe he's found a better bride. Any of that sound familiar? Jesus, our bridegroom, has gone ahead of us to prepare a house for us, John 14, 2. That's exactly what he told the disciples later that evening. He even tells Thomas that he should know what he's doing. And why? Because they shared a betrothal cup. A Jew would have heard that. And now all Jews would get it that the bridegroom has to leave to prepare a place for the final marriage supper of the Lamb. Here's what he says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. They would have heard marriage. They would have heard betrothal. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I'm going. John 14, 1 to 4. (laughs) But unfortunately... You know, we disciples can be a little sleepy, and and many of us still don't understand what Jesus said. I mean, we've emphasized the legal aspect of his death and resurrection, right? The legal price paid for the bride's sins, redemption, and that's really important. Uh, Paul emphasized that, absolutely kosher. But so is the second cultural aspect, the marriage of a faulty, unworthy bride to God. Jesus betrothed himself to an unworthy bride, vineyard keepers, and we await the grand procession. That's movement four. We wait for his return and the grand bridegroom procession to take us home. And when you read movement four, it's about that. It's about you and your husband. It's about the subsequent marriage banquet. You know, I read Messianic Jews. They seem to appreciate this far more than we Gentile Christians. Uh, Here it is. We're already his bride. We're legally married. There's nothing more to prove or earn. It's finished. Our charge is to access the gifts he left us, the fruit and gifts of the Spirit, and wait for the marriage banquet. And like the queen in the song, we're going to struggle to accept the such stunning news, the incongruous love. Our critical inner voice is going to go crazy. This is why it is so important to understand the song and to preach it to ourselves over and over and over. Does that make sense? Next time you take communion the Lord's table, whatever you call it in your church, it declares what Jesus did on the cross. Praise God. Paul emphasized redemption, but it also reminds us that we are a bride, perfectly loved, given his spirit as a bridal gift. So imagine Jesus standing at the banquet, hitting his glass with a fork, looking at you straight into your eyes, and then glorifying you with a romantic, stunning wasp, including Look at you, beautiful, my beloved, look at you, beautiful. The Lord's table, communion. You know, it's not boring. It's not just merely cold theology. It's a praise poem from Jesus to you, the unworthy bride. 
And you take the bread, remember the price he put on you, the marriage price. His cup, remember that this is the first cup. The second one is coming and it's going to be even better. No matter how bad things are for you here, there's going to be a second cup. You can't mess that up. The beginning of a whole other level of celebration and consummation. You and Jesus surrounded by those who have gone before. It's amazing. That's the difference the Song of Songs makes. This is a good place to take a break for a sponsor. Uh, We'll see you in just a moment. Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. So how'd that hit you? Take a breath, (laughs) sit back, relax your shoulders. Can that really be true? Are you, am I the perfect bride? Yes. And Jesus paid dearly for it. Um, So let's go back one last moment to movement for the Yehud, the consummation. It's where we see both redemption and marriage. So review the king and his bride entered the chuppah, consummated the marriage, the Yehud. And surprisingly, the king held up the bedsheet and proclaimed all was well. His heavenly friends agree. The marriage is good. Nothing has stopped. Uh, Nothing has proven unworthy, including our presence. The close of movement four is the testimony of the heavenlies. Verse two of chapter five, we have witnessed and totally approve of this union. It is good. Eat freely, lovers be filled. Marriage and also redemption. Uh, Doesn't the Bible also say that God is perfect? So let me just spend a moment on this. How could he feel anything other than anger and contempt or indifference towards you and me, sinners? See, I'm not up to his standards by a long shot. I have failed. I've made bad choices. I've betrayed God on numerous occasions, even after as a Christian, many times before and many times after. How could he love with me without approbation, without hesitancy? Is his love somehow substantially different from mine? My love is conditional. I love those People who like me, who appreciate me, who respond favorably and, and with honor towards me. I love lovable people. Well, here's the stunning news, and please listen and wrestle with this. His love is substantially the same as yours or mine, in that it is perfectly conditional. You may not have heard that, but you might have heard the opposite. He perfectly loves perfection. That's the nature of God. And it's great news. Let me explain Because the cross, because of Jesus' death, him taking my place under God's perfect justice, settling all of my accounts with God, all of my sins with God, 
So he takes all of my sins, all of my unfaithfulness, all of my dalliances, all my idols, wounds, imperfections, flaws on his shoulders, and was legally and rightly condemned, unrightly shamed in my place. Then he put into my resume all of his perfection and righteous record. And listen, since God naturally perfectly loves the perfectly righteous, God now must love me with all of the love in the universe. Substitutionary atonement. He must honor me with all of the honor due his son. Not that it was due me, but due his son. The conditions have been paid. So it's not unconditional. It's fully conditional. The conditions have been paid. Now it, has, it is as if it was unconditional. I'm in. The verdict is in. And here's the public testimony, the witnesses, the heavenlies blessing the unions. The law is now my friend. In the eyes of the heavenly judge, I have no legal flaw. Just like the king said to the bride in the marriage wasp, and I experience it now in his arms in the chapa. Redemption and marriage. Marriage and redemption. We are not just redeemed to be on some kind of distant probation from God, zeroing out of all the accounts and kind of at, at square one. No, we're redeemed to be the intimate partner of the Trinity forever. God is loving me now with an unchanging love. Calvin says that this is the secret working of the Spirit in us to make us feel the very love of God. Did you know that? <sighs> or have you stopped believing that or expecting that? Look, no matter how you feel right now, no matter what you did this week, no matter what was done to you, God loves you as much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. Remember I said that you have two typical normal reactions to this teaching. First, many get it for the first time and are reminded of what they experienced at least once, and we're so grateful to hear it again. You're welcome. But then there will be those of you who hear this differently. And again, no judgment. This is very human. Those feel subconscious hesitancy, shame, anger, maybe depression, like something's broken inside of them, that they're not getting it fully, or that they've tried and just failed and they're sad. And that, by the way, was me. But, Pastor Bill, you might say, I still don't get it. I desperately want the intimacy, but I haven't felt it in so long. What do I need to do to get it? If only I did fill in the blank, my spiritual life would just take off, right? Maybe I've just screwed it up too badly. Maybe I am a screw-up. You know, I guess, I think, I know, maybe someday God's going to bring it up and come back. Uh, but that's not necessarily going to be a good day for me. I'm, I'm afraid of that day. But there is something that you can do and are able to do. Uh, uh, you do nothing. Well, except one thing. You ask the Holy Spirit in you to make you access the power to grasp the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for you. Do it now. Before you go to bed, tomorrow, twice a day. They are designed to help you hear this gospel over and over until the habit is formed. And by the way, this is one of the reasons that I do not like the typical way that the songs are taught, kind of as a dating manual, marriage manual, or a group of, of love poems. This is great news. The way I preach it, teach it, is great news for singles and divorced and widows and singles again. I mean, the love that you're most desiring can be yours as you are, whatever your status not to discount the good stuff in relationships, but they're mere shadows of the glory that you can get every day from his gaze. And that's what the poem talks about. Can we also see how being in the great lover king's embrace, his measuring gaze might affect your worship, Bible reading, devotions, prayers, enthusiasm to tell others, evangelism, witnessing, your message, the shape of the message to others. It's got to be noticeable. Not perfect, that's heaven, but it should be noticeable. You have a story. This is what Jesus purchased for you, redemption and marriage. We have a more sure intimacy than Adam and Eve had. You see, they, and I believe they had the spirit 
in them, but only probationally. He left after the breakdown. I have the Spirit permanently, right? And he's, he, he's telling me how much God loves me. He's giving me access so that I can grasp the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for me. The only other difference is that Adam and Eve's experience pre-fall of the love of God was unimpeded by shame, guilt, and fear. My experience is still heavily impeded by my midbrain shame, guilt, and fear. But God has no hesitancy in, with regard to me. It's the very nature of the great lover king. He loves hot messes. And that's all there is. That's all of us. But your midbrain has great difficulty resting in such arms, and God's going to complete what he started. He's going to bring you and me kicking and screaming to rest in his arms and to be loved by him, and you will love him back. That's worship. So I want to remind you of some tools that can help. First, we have the online spiritual journey called The Dance, www.the-dance.org. There is a minimal fee, small fee, for this two-hour online experience, and you're going to thank us. In it, we remind you of the stunning honor and joy of being invited into the celestial dance, marriage and redemption, with the Father, Son, and Spirit. Like I said, it's online, it's accessible, it's sophisticated, relevant, confidential. Uh, You can do any smart device. We'll even give you a chance, this is interesting, to get justice from your nasty, critical inner voice. Very creative and fun, powerful. You might just dance a little. Here's the testimony of one participant. I will be honest in that I was hopeful yet skeptical. I have been going to church, celebrate recovery, counseling, even taking medication for anxiety and depression, begging God to help me connect the dots with his love and overcoming shame. I read articles, listened to podcasts, read books, and have been working hard to overcome shame and feeling like a loser due to memories and reminders of things done to me and things I've done. Knowing it is not all on me is comforting. He takes me as I am, and the lies are lies. Thank you. And then, of course, there is the very important Simple and Cluttered Gospel Remember, it reflects the power of the gospel of the marriage and redemption. When you say it aloud, word for word, you're proclaiming the gospel to that dark, murky, largely unreached people group, your midbrain, that's scared to death of the groom's procession, if you will, of the yachud. I mean, experientially, because if you're a Christian, you're already in his arms, but you just check out, just like the queen. So listen to the simple, uncluttered gospel. Let it wash over you. Let it seep in. Here it is. Jesus' follower, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God actually loves you. He loves you with all of his heart, as much as the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. He can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now, I get it. It often feels like you've messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. How do you experience it now? Simple. Good news. There is something that you can do and are invited to do. You can take daily baby steps to ask the Spirit inside of you to make you know, experience, and feel just how much God loves you right now. Just ask. Ask again later today. Ask tomorrow. Make it a spiritual habit. And remember, twice a day, word for word, aloud, and do that for 45 days. We're fighting a deeply entrenched habit uh, that's you. And, and again, you can, and I would encourage you to get the Simple and Cluttered Gospel in bookmark form. Spread it all over your house and workplace. You can get them at gospelapp.com. 
gospel-app.com or gospelrant.com. Uh, buy a pack of them. They're pretty inexpensive. And hand them out. Uh, people will thank you. And please, I'm begging you to get the, these last five shows on movement number four out to others. I, th- I think they're life-changing. Uh, particularly for Christians who wonder if God's disappointed in them. You know, their dirty little secret. And that's all of us. And no doubt the Spirit has brought somebody to mind. You know what to do. Call them. Send them a link. Forward it. Put them on social media. Have coffee with them. That's the good stuff. And another favor, please follow this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Very important. That encourages people to listen to the show. It sends you links when we have special shows. That's just how that works. So please do. Send me your comments and I'll post the best on my website. Thanks to Life Audio for their support and platform. Take heart, child of God. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.